tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. Well, greetings and salutations, everybody. Welcome to my YouTube channel. My name is John Campia, and this is Mailbag. What is Mailbag? Well, I'm glad that you asked. See, every day on the John Campia Show, Monday through Friday, we take the second half of the live show to take live comments and questions from the audience watching live. However, if you're one of our international friends or anybody else around the country who likes to watch our show one of the other 22 hours during the day, but you still want to get in a comment or question to be read, that's what Mailbag is here for. And listen, if you've got a comment, question, or observation you'd like read on this show, simply go down into the description of this video and you'll see a tip link. Click on that or enter it in manually at www.streamelements.com slash movieblogtv slash tip. You'll be getting your comment or question read on this show if we deem your comment or question appropriate to be used on the show, of course. And, of course, you'll be supporting the channel at the same time. And all of us involved with the John Campus Show, thank you guys so very much for your support. And on this episode of Mailbag, I'm joined by Robert Meyer Burnett. Robert, how are you doing today, sir? John, I'm doing well. Uh, I love doing these mailbags. I love hearing from the viewers, answering their questions. They always have funny things that I think about later. <laughs> they, they often do. A lot of stuff we, re we reflect back on and talk about again later. And anyway, guys, let's not waste any time. And jump right into it, shall we? We're going to start getting caught up here with uh, Christian, who tipped in like $50, uh, sent in a $50 tip. Thank you, Christian, cool, for supporting Christian. our Thank channel on so that much. level. Uh, and he writes in one of three. Uh, Greetings, John uh, and ye merry crew. I wrote a comment slash question um, about my experience with AMC a while ago. You kindly made a small video addressing it. This is a spiritual follow-up. For context, I am a meat cutter currently. I wake up at 4 a.m. Uh, every day, and some of my colleagues wake up at around 2 a.m. We work hard and are usually exhausted when we are done with work. When I consider going to a movie theater, I consider it a service um, the service currently is not good. I pay around $16 per ticket plus eight to $10 for popcorn, which probably costs under a dollar to produce. I also prefer to go to a 21 plus theater so I don't have to deal with kids. Uh, so that means a severely marked, uh, up alcoholic beverage. Then I have to sit through multiple Coke or Pepsi ads plus multiple AMC ads. Like what the fuck? I'm already here. Now I am hearing that I have to pay more to see a few movies. I actually have time to see like you. Um, one of my earliest memories was watching Star Wars with my parents at a theater. That is my earliest childhood memory. I continue the tradition by taking my younger cousins to the theater as well as see the Marvel properties, DC and Star Wars. As I write to you, uh, I have um, already purchased a ticket for Batman this Thursday. This will be my final movie ticket purchase until I hear a changing of course that will provide a better service for the customer. I am sad. Giving up a three-generation tradition in my family, I just can't justify it anymore. I would rather invest in a home theater setup, even though I agree they are inferior to the real thing. I hope I can hear your perspective, uh, maybe relating to the general movie audience. Also, maybe if Rob has some hot takes for good alternatives in Seattle, I would love to check them out. If not, I give up. All right, that was Christian sending in a big eight-parter. Wow. And listen, Christian is kind of saying something 
that I have been harping on for a long time now. Now, yes, I completely believe, and it is true, that going to the movie theaters to watch movies is by far the superior experience. It is the way the filmmakers intended their movies to be seen. You cannot replicate that experience at home, sitting by yourself on the same couch. You probably, you know touch yourself to watching Skinamax movies. It, it, just I've not, never done that. It's just not the same experience. And like, and having watched the Batman a couple of times, the last number of days just really reemphasizes that there's nothing like it. So I, I am very big on the fact that the movie theater experience is the best experience. That being said, the other thing I've harped on a lot over the past five plus years is that the movie theaters need to understand that they are an experiential business. The customers are coming and paying for an experience unlike any other they can get anywhere else. And the more you either diminish that experience or put up roadblocks to enjoying that experience, the fewer and fewer people will come to the movies. When you are a business and you start losing revenue and customers to make up for the revenue. You have one of two options. Try to appeal to the customers and improve your product to get more customers back. That will increase your revenue or just charge the customers who are still your customers more money to make up for the lost revenue of other people. There is short term gain with the second option. It's like, oh, we lost 5% of our customers. Therefore we lost 5% of our revenue. Just increase our prices by 5% more for our loyal customers. Let's charge them more and we'll still make our, we'll make our nut, right? That will get you instant short-term benefit, but you're getting short-term benefit at the cost of long-term loss. And this Rob has been the movie theater industry strategy. Fewer people, we're, we're providing a, a more and more inferior experience so fewer people come. Okay, we'll increase ticket prices to offset fewer people coming. Great. Well, now your tickets are more expensive. You still haven't addressed your quality of experience issues. So even fewer people are going to come next year. To which again, your reply is, well, let's just increase the prices again to compensate. It is a zero-sum <clears throat> path. There is no future in that. And instead of addressing the the system the systematic issues that are involved here the systemic problems and addressing saying what are we not doing to deliver the best experience possible it starts with how much it costs to get in then how much it costs to be there then once you're there what kind of experience are you having and beyond the prices of tickets and and everything else people have constantly written in rob about having to stand in line in a concession stand for 20 minutes to get a damn soda or popcorn, showing up for a movie that said it started at 7 o'clock and you paid to see that movie, and getting there and your movie not starting until 7.30, 7.35, you're paying your babysitter more, you're out longer than you thought you would be, You then you come to the realization that you paid money to sit there and watch commercials. Okay. You paid for the privilege to sit there and watch commercials. Now, 
the movie theater industry has been doing a good job in recent years of trying to increase these temples of movies. AMC has put in the prime theaters. Regal has done a bunch of stuff. Alamo Drafthouse has always done a top job. So they're doing that, but they've been ignoring the systemic problems about what is taking away from people's movie-going experiences, making it less valuable to them, and then facing the prospects of having to pay more for a less valuable experience, and then the following year, attendance drops again. And what Christian is writing in, Rob, is a perfect example of this to the point that he and others are saying, well, good job, everybody. Now I'm the next number in the statistic that I'm not coming back. And they've got to address this. Rob, let me ask you. I know you agree with, with all the stuff that I was just saying, but what is it that prevents the movie theater industry from saying, you know what? Some theaters had it. The Arclight got it, you know? They, got, they made sure their concession lines, lines were short. You're always through it in five minutes or less. Three trailers and then start the movie. They didn't let people in if you were late to try to give the best experience. And they were successful until the pandemic put them out. Why don't, what is it that's preventing movie theaters in this industry from getting back to what is the obvious long-term solution here about just improving the customer experience? Well, I think like everything else, John, it's it, it always comes down to money. I mean, a movie theater's job Movie theaters exist to do one thing, which is show movies, and secondarily to sell refreshments so they can make a profit. Right. That's it. So as we saw both, we saw Batman twice at the same AMC venue. First time we saw it in IMAX, beautiful presentation. The sound was incredible. Picture was razor sharp. It was a very fulfilling experience. That's because AMC put in the time and the money to make sure that their projection and sound system is first rate great experience there for the most part their concession stands like you said run fast you know we get through them they and they have good food they've got good drinks and food and everything they've invested the time what is undercutting i think the experience is the the human element i don't think that they're paying people enough i don't think that they're making they're, I'm not saying this for every theater chain, but the people that work there are also part of the equation. And you've got to make sure that you're paying a, a competitive wage and you're getting good people. I mean, I understand movie theaters are an entry-level position. I get that. But they're still a part of your experience. And I think in the long run, you have to invest the money. Everybody wants short-term gain. And we're talking about a business that's been around for 100 years yeah. plus. And, and there is no short-term Turn, term gain, gain here. You, they spent five billion dollars on AMC theaters to up their game in terms of presentation, and it worked. Yeah, like you talk about. Hey, look, you go to that. It's your favorite theater. That AMC Dolby Cinema. They partnered up with an external company, Dolby. Those theaters are great. Remarkable favorite experience. That's the best way to see a film. They've already done that, and not a lot of theaters have. There's a lot of bad projection out there still. And then you've got to, they have good people at AMC. I always have a great experience going to your favorite theater. And it's because they've taken the time and they've made the effort to hire good people, have good refreshments, good presentation. That's all they have to do. That's the only thing that they have to do. And when they don't, they can, they can use gimmicks all they want when this guy comes in and says, we're going to up the ticket price. And if you're not providing me another uh, anything more, why would you do that? Yeah, for short-term gain. This is the problem with all of America. Everyone is only thinking about the next fiscal quarter. What we want is movie theaters to be a long-standing 
enduring business. And in order to do that, you can't chase short-term gain. You have to make sure that the customer experience is good today, tomorrow, next year, five years from now. That's now, the only way. We talked about last week on the show that Cineworld in the UK just did something they called Cineworld Day. Where, now granted, this is an extreme example, but you know, where they charged for one day, I believe it was one day, it might've been two, but I think it was for one day, they charged $4 a ticket, right? $4 a ticket. Now that's an extreme case, but still, they had their biggest day of business in the history of the company. Not, that includes days that Endgame came out, that includes days that Star Wars came out, they had their single biggest attendance day in their history, which shows the audience wants to go to the movies. If you just stop putting up barriers to keep them from coming, I'm not saying obviously they're going to go out of business if they always if they just charge four dollars ticket right. report. But it shows that there is a direct connection between how much you are charging people for this experience, but not doing anything, not doing anything out of the experience. As a matter of fact, you're taking away from experience. 30 minutes of previews, 30 minutes of commercials, having to stand in line at a concession stand, 15, 20, 25 minutes. There was this one time I got in line and it was at AMC. As a matter of fact, I got in line for a hot dog. Ann and I got to the theater 15 minutes before the showtime and there were still the trailers. I missed the first five minutes of the movie. I missed the first five minutes of the movie. I mean, they, they got to work on this. Anyway, you can go off on this but, all day, but, but I we, think, we John, feel you know, free, Christian. Your point you make, though, if they did that once a month, if theater chains did that once a month and had $4 Fridays or something, not Fridays because the movie opens, $4, $4 Wednesdays or whatever, you get people into those AMC theaters in those Dolby cinemas for four bucks. The refreshments can stay the same. You give people a great experience once a month. You make that money and you get them to love the experience again, to forget what they were missing. Yeah. And you know, they'll not come back forget more what often. And they'll come back more often. All right. Thanks a lot for writing that in, Christian. All right. Next up, we go to Rogue Three, who writes, the Raiders movie club was so damn good. Thank you for that. Don't forget, the new uh, movie club is tomorrow. That's Tuesday, March the 8th at 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. We are doing The Dark Knight. We hope you'll join us for that. Uh, the Raiders movie club was so damn good. Keep them coming. During it, Rob mentioned that The Right Stuff was one of his favorite movies. Me too. Uh, is there any chance you guys could do a Right Stuff movie club? Sam Shepard equals legend. I'll be honest with you. I don't know that I see us doing a Right Stuff movie club. Even I, John. It's one of my 10 favorite movies of all time. I would say probably not. I would love to do it only because most of our audience have not seen that movie. Yeah. You know, nor would they have the attachment to it. It's about the dawn of the American space program, the Mercury 7 astronauts. It's really good. It's such a great movie. And it's three hours and 15 minutes long. So, oh, I forgot that. Yeah. And there are some movies that I, I think that while they are wonderful, I don't think they serve our movie club for our audience. Right. But I want to thank you, viewer, because I love hearing you say that. All right, next up, uh, we've got Garden Variety Vagabond who writes, John and Rob, I see so much hand-wringing about bringing over certain actors into the MCU from Netflix. I understand the question of storylines, but not actors. What is intrinsic difference uh, with recasting now versus the Hulk and Rhodey? Well, I think the mm. big fundamental difference is this. There have been many times when they're rebooting a character or something because the previous iteration didn't work. 
or the previous iteration didn't get the business they were hoping it would get or the attention that it would get or so on and so forth. In the case of the Netflix Marvel shows, well, at least some of them, <laughs> not so much Iron Fist, but in the case of some of the Netflix shows, you had a, a Daredevil show that was resoundingly popular, not just in terms of a lot of eyeballs watched it, but the people who watched it loved it. And it was really good, genuinely And it good. was really damn good. And so, look, right now the reality is, Rob, we do not know what Kevin Feige is doing with this. There is a difference of opinion out there. I personally believe like the Kingpin and the Daredevil we see are not the exact same the exact same people that we saw in the Netflix iteration that they are very close versions of them but not the exact same. But I may be wrong. We may find out from Kevin Feige that they they are indeed even though Vincent D'Onofrio pointed out several of the obvious differences between the Netflix Kingpin and him, but still, it is possible they can go that way. But regardless, let's assume for a second that they're not. Well, then bringing back Charlie Cox as Daredevil, instead of just recasting it as a full-blown reboot, it does two things. One, it plays into the multiverse stuff that, that Marvel has been playing up, so it's totally consistent with their whole concept of multiverse. But number two, you excite the fan base because the fans love Charlie Cox's iteration of Daredevil. So even if, and we don't know that it is, but even if these are new versions of those characters, even if, and we don't know that they are, then it still makes sense because it's consistent with the multiverse stuff they're doing and the fact that they were hyper popular. And those are often not the case with other classic reboot scenarios and recasting. What do you think about that? Why? Well, no, I I agree with I agree with you, but also. You know, I have been reading comics for most of my life, and you've got the same character, the same continuity, but then a new creative team will come on, right. a new writer, a new artist, and they'll take the character in a different direction. Now, that character is still the same character, and these events that happened in previous comic books, those occurred, but you want to have the writing team and the, the, new, the new creative team, the writers and the artists, the freedom to create their own new stories as well. Now, I think in the case of these Marvel shows, if you bring these characters over, the real question is, does the Marvel Cinematic Universe as a whole now support the history of Daredevil as we watched it on Netflix? Did the hand, was the, is the hand in the MCU going to be the same hand that we saw on the show? Is Elektra going to be the same Elektra? Because when you bring over Daredevil, does that mean Elektra and Karen Page and, and, and Foggy all those and people, particular those versions of those, Electra, yeah, Karen Page and Foggy. Absolutely. Yeah. Do they come too? And if they don't, then it can start to get a little strange. So it's not just that you're bringing those characters over. You're bringing all of their baggage. You're bringing all of their mythology as well. And does the universe support that? Or are you just going to say, look, Charlie Cox, people love him as Daredevil. Why recast? I understand that. Yeah. But does then that mean that everything we've already seen that character do is that canonical? Does he know Elektra, or do does the MCU want to retell these stories in their own fashion? Right. It does give you. It, it's kind of. It offers you the option if you're Kevin Feige, a best of both worlds. Yeah. You get the popularity of it, but you also get the creative freedom to retell your own version of it. But again, we don't know that that's what they're doing. No. It very well could be the same kingpin in the same day. We'll find out. Okay. Anyway, good question, man. Next up, Jacob Bell's writes. Uh, not sure of you or Rob's opinion on the best live action Bruce Wayne, but. Do you believe Bales 
gets disrespected because of appearance. Say we took Affleck's appearance and combined it with Bale's performance. Who would you prefer? Weird hypothetical. I'll be honest with you, Jacob. I have no idea what it is you're asking. I have never once heard any disrespect of Christian Bale's Batman. Well, period. But any disrespect of Christian Bale's Batman because of appearance? Yeah, that he's too good looking or blonde but or he looks like Patrick he's Bateman not blonde, from American I, Psycho. What, you know, what, yeah, what? I, I don't. I honestly don't. I mean, know I would what... say I, I think I, I know what he's getting at. Like Ben Affleck's um, Bruce Wayne looks more comic accurate. You know, I think he because he's bigger, he has more of a rectangular face. Mm. You know, he's got that comics lantern jawed look. So even I, when I look at Bruce Wayne, I love when he's wearing the blue undershirt and the three piece suit, the vest. Right. Yeah, it looks he great. Looks great. He and he looks like. Whereas Christian Bale didn't get to be Bruce Wayne enough. Like we never got to see. Bruce be Bruce. I know that one scene though is come on, Bruce. We have more hotels for you to buy. That that was pretty great. No, that was great. But you didn't like, I loved seeing Bruce Wayne in justice league and uh, Zack Snyder's justice league and Batman V Superman being Bruce Wayne. Like he went out and did things as Bruce and the scenes lasted a little bit longer. And I love that opening scene in Batman V Superman when he's going into the city to rescue people. Oh, one, one of the best it's to me, that scene is right up there with X-Men 2's Nightcrawler's attack on the White House is the best openings of comic book uh, movies uh, ever. Yeah, it's incredible. And but he's got a he's got a feeling to like we never got to see Christian Bale do the equivalent of that in a movie where it was Bruce Wayne got his own call it an action scene. You know, he was always Bruce Wayne was always his undercover guys whereas uh, Affleck got a lot more to do. So as Bruce, and I think if Christian Bale had a scene like the beginning of Batman v Superman, we might think, or our viewer might think differently about his portrayal of Bruce Wayne. I, but I'll just say still off in general, Jacob, I, I've never heard anybody giving Christian Bale's Bat- yeah, Bruce Wayne disrespect. So, but anyway, hopefully we, we kind of got the just what you're asking. All right. Arush writes, hey, John and crew. I was uh, grinning during the first 15 to 20 minutes of the Batman. So gorgeously shot, and it really set a strong tone for the rest of the movie. Also, is it just me, or does the Batman theme have hints of the Imperial March from Star Wars? Well, I mean, I can get where you hear that, because it's like the Imperial March both have very um, quarter-hit kind of feel to it. Bum, 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 bum. Like very singular one-shot notes, whereas you, Batman... Bum, 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 bum. So there's a similarity there, but not really overall. Yeah. And speaking of it being beautifully shot, I don't know if you heard this. Matt Reeves sent out a letter on Warner Brothers letterhead to all the movie theaters that were showing the Batman. That's very Did you Stanley see this? Kubrick. No, but I haven't. But and this will speak to your heart. And he basically wrote. And I'm paraphrasing here because I remember where we were, but basically in the letter, and some people took pictures of him, put them on social media. It's basically, hey, you know, we worked a long time shooting, getting the look of this film that we really wanted. Please make sure your projectors are set to X number of lumens or whatever it was. He said, we worked hard to calibrate this film for a very specific look. Please make sure you're honest because I know one of your big pet peeves of the movie theater experience is when theaters... Dim. cheap out and dim the bulbs try to make them last longer and this movie would suffer the most so badly uh i mean they played with the darkness so well in this film and if if you dim those bulbs and i get it that's another thing movie theaters do they're trying to save money because those bulbs are expensive their projector bulbs are expensive but they have one job 
you know, you make you make sure that you don't skimp or scrimp or whatever you want to call it on those bulbs, man. Yeah, especially and, in Batman. Yeah, and I'm I kudos to Matt Reeves because Stanley Kubrick did that. You know, he he had control over the theaters. The showtimes had to be approved by him. And uh I love that Matt Reeves did that. I had not read that. I didn't yeah, know that. Very Good cool. for him. All right. Next up, we've got you'll hate me for this, writes uh oh. Frodo. <laughs> It was nice of Aragorn to get me a proper suit for the celebration, but I still need a tie, and I want to smell good too. Legolas, you can have my bow, Gimli, and my axe. Get it? There's Dude, something called axe body bad. spray. I, that's, that's just, come yeah, on. No, that one didn't work. All right, next up. Can have uh, my axe. It's kind of funny. Because Cinema Reviews writes, I'm not a big horror guy, uh, some exceptions, a quiet place alien, but I am interested in Nope. One issue I have, though, who thought the title was a good idea? Nope is what I consider an inherently comedic word, so it sounds like a horror parody title to me. I can see where you're coming from, but you just say nope. Everybody knows what movie you're talking about right now. Everybody in movie circles exactly knows the movie you're talking about right now. And when you watch the trailer, you're like, that's why it's called nope. Well, I, I mean, it, it, it feels like, a, to me, it's a memorable punchy single word title and it's hard to get those I, personally i think it works really well in our theater i think it was when we saw it on friday we saw batman that's they, right they played, they played the no and all i needed to hear was ismail's mom who i was sitting next to and she was before the even the title came up even she was going nope <laughs> you know and i'm like man i get it i totally understand where that title came from i think it's absolutely perfect and i can't wait to that dude that trailer's bonkers. Yeah, that's a really good trailer. And it's all, it's like crazy. Like, I, I, I hope it's, a, I, I don't know if, that, if it's about aliens. The one sheet was there with all the ho horses float, being yeah. sucked up. Into the, I don't know what that's about. It looks like it's about aliens. I'll watch anything with aliens. But this movie, it's, it calls to me. It speaks to my soul, dude. I can't wait. I just hope it's more Get Out and less Us. Uh, yeah. yeah, so. yeah. All right. Chloe Fanning writes. Seeing as Stephanie Myers did not use vampire lore in Twilight, well, she did use some vampire lore, but then she took some she creative liberties with other. Yeah, I wonder if she used the Watchers in the Book of Enoch instead of her vampires uh, for the people seen for the people seen them as the shiny people, basically making her vampires children of fallen angels. I have no, I'll be, I'll be honest, with you, I have no idea what Chloe is the Book of said. Enoch is that. Uh, is that a part of the... the is that uh, another YA novel? Is a, or? No, is that a gospel thing? I'm not... I don't think so, no. I, I don't know. Uh, or is that so part of... Uh, sorry, Chloe. I'm, we're just, I'm not quite sure what it is you're asking. Sorry about that. All right. Uh, Jay Chicago writes, Hey, guys. My question is, now that you've seen the Batman and Spider-Man in No Way Home, between the two styles, which kind of superhero movie do you prefer? There's no such thing. It, it's, it's not a matter of, oh, I prefer the style of dark and gritty. Or I prefer the style of super exciting and thrilling. Look, movies pick a style that fits their story. And then it's all about us. How good do you do your story? It, it's just simple as that. Like for me, like I preferred the Batman over Spider-Man No Way Home. Well, then that means you prefer Dark and Gritty. No, because I still think the greatest comic book movie ever made is the first Avengers movie. Well, then that means you you prefer the the exciting, fun, but no, it, no. it's it's it, got to be yeah. it's got to be the subject matter coupled with the approach to the subject matter. Yes, like 
if you had seen if matt reeves had made spider-man no way home and shot it and made it feel exactly like the batman it would not have been a successful spider-man movie because you don't want to see dark and gritty spider-man's not a dark and gritty character you can make a dark and gritty spider-man movie but you can't make it you can't shoot it like the batman was just like you couldn't then turn around to make the batman work oh i guess you could because we saw batman and robin but look at how that came out yeah if you made it, it you have to make sure that the 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 subject matter and the tone fit together yeah and and so no tone works better it's like saying what color is best well it yeah. depends on the application it, it, it's, of the color. A, it's a it's a look when you're making a souffle you have to make sure all the ingredients work or they deflate the bottom line here jay is that both movies are great now I, and i did prefer the batman slightly but that does not mean I prefer dark and gritty over fun and thrilling and no. exciting. It's just, it's just what is the total package, I suppose. That's, that's it. All right, thanks for writing that in, man. All right. Uh, Cryo writes, Hey, John. My most anticipated movie of this year is Avatar 2. I love the first one and cannot wait to see what James Cameron does with the sequels. Are you looking forward to Avatar 2? And were you a fan of the first one? Thanks. Love the show. Yeah, I, I was a fan of the first Me one. Me too. It's, I mean... Did I think it should win Best Picture at the Academy Awards? No. But did I think it was an excellent film? Yes. It's, it was a wonderful movie-going experience. And seeing how, let's face it, James Cameron doesn't lose. He just doesn't. I mean, everything the guy does. So, yes, I'm excited. Like I'd be lying to you if I said that Avatar 2 is in my top five most anticipated. It's not. But I am very much looking forward to it. And I think the movie is coming six years too late. Right. But better late than never. So uh, I'm excited about it, but I wouldn't say it's a top five. What about you, Rob? Look, it's one of my f uh, most eagerly awaited movies of the year, but that's only because James Cameron has always pushed the boundaries of filmmaking. You know, the the technology he, he has always used. You go all the way back to T2, you know, which was uh, something that came out of what he did with The Abyss. And then he's constantly moving the needle forward in terms of our technology. So that a lot of Avatar 2 supposedly is taking place underwater with his penchant for going underwater himself. I think we're going to get something we just haven't seen before. And I'm looking forward to whatever technological advances he's made. And whether you think his stories are like Fern Gully in live action or Dances with Wolves, it doesn't matter because he always delivers a great time at the movies. It might not change your life. But it certainly gives you a great time at the movies. All right. Next up, Chloe Fanning writes in, uh, my only real qualm with Twilight was the fact that they built up Dakota Fanning's character, Jane, as a badass vampire, only to just make her a jobber in the end. Dakota Fanning done a done a good hmm. Dakota Fanning done a good doing the character uh, need more Dakota in uh, Hollywood and Twilight. I'm going to disagree with you on that. Um, the. The care the the Twilight story was not about Dakota Fanning's character. Was she a cool character? Yes, but she's a secondary supportive character. Right. She's not who it's about. And you cannot make a jobber out of somebody who's not supposed to be your headliner in the first place, right? So while she was good in it, absolutely, Dakota Fanning's fantastic, but she's not what the story was about her character was not what the story was about they should not have put her in another second of those movies they needed to keep the focus of the movies on who your primary characters are yeah, and she's part of like the what volturi the yes, vampire the volturi, council right. and you know it, it's 
like you said, she's part of a, an adjunct bunch of characters that that are kind of the Supreme Court of the vampires. You know, it's like, and by the way, I was I told you I watched that clip of Breaking Dawn last week. You know, when they show up at the end of Breaking Dawn Part Two, when the yeah. Volturi show up and they have that battle on the ice, they were badass. Yeah, I like she that looked, one. She I like that great. movie. As a matter of fact. All right, next up, an anonymous viewer writes. Hey guys, with AMC testing dynamic pricing, that's just another way of saying price jacking. Uh, with AMC testing dynamic pricing, was curious if guys could see them or another chain's greed eventually charging different prices for seats. Many theaters now let you select seats so they could start adding, say, $2 row K, $3 row M, and so forth. Yeah, unfortunately, that's exactly what's going to happen at some point. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, and it sucks. And, and it's, it's stupid. And it sucks. And again, a lot of people try to com compare to saying, you know, oh, well, you know, with whatever move in this industry, you do 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 it. Yeah, but we already talked on the show about how that's completely different because they're completely different scenarios and business models and what they do. And here's the thing. I wouldn't be so against it. If this new model was like, say, hey, you know, our baseline price is $10 for a movie ticket. Okay. But you know what? The very, very back corner, I will charge you $7 for that. For, oh, you ended up having to get front row. Okay, you know what? We'll charge you 6 bucks for that. Even though the tickets are $10, we will charge you 6 But, ooh, you got the best seat, dead center, middle. We're going to charge you 12 Like, if they were lowering the price of less desirable seats... It would still be a bad idea, but I would at least get it. This is not what they're doing. What they're doing is keeping the high prices and then charging even higher prices for decent seats. Yeah. Or decent. And again, it's the same thing with the movies. Like, okay, you want to charge, you know, $19 for Batman instead of the $17 you're normally charging. Okay. So does that mean for Coda? You're going to charge $12 instead of $17 since it's a less attended movie? Oh, no, you're not? Oh, you're just, you're just going to keep completely ridiculously high prices for everything and make extra, extra ridiculously high prices for other things because they're not balancing it out. Right. It's just a money grab. Yeah. And it's going to cause more, pe let more people to stop going to the movies. So congratulations, morons. Well done. Well done, you idiots. Anyway, right. next up. Uh, let's see here. Uh, Kiri25 writes, Hey, all saw you discussing if Michael Giacchino was the next goat. I think we were talking about him maybe getting in, nudging his way into the conversation oh, yes. with everybody. Yes. And heard you guys mention different composers. One composer I didn't hear mentioned was Howard Shore. Uh, Shore was fantastic. Um, just curious if you considered him a goat, seeing as his work is Middle Earth. Well, there is no such thing as being a goat. You're either the goat or you're not. <laughs> right. <laughs> the goat is singular. The goat right? John Williams is the goat. Tom Brady is the goat. I mean, it, it just, it's a singular thing. Um, Howard Shore is fantastic. Look, I sometimes now go to sleep putting on these eight hour videos on YouTube of like, it's a still image of the Shire with some rain falling. So a little bit of rain sound with do, 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 playing because I love that score. Look, what what Shore did in the Lord of the Rings films is nothing short of all-time iconic. That that the music of the like you can play a piece of music and I'll know exactly what scene it's from. 
right? That's the that's not a testimony to my recall power. That's a testimony to the power of the music thing. But do I think Shore is in the conversation with John Williams? I don't. He did some remarkable work, but I, I don't think he's in that conversation. I don't know, Rob, what about you? I agree. I mean, look, I love Howard Shore, and I love the work. I mean, he goes all the way back to David Cronenberg to like yeah. the 70s. Good Canadian kid, by the way, Howard Shore, I believe. And um, he's a great, but he hasn't he hasn't done all these different, like, like John Williams, he, Jaws, Star Wars, Raiders, Harry Potter, Jurassic Park. Howard Shore has not, he doesn't have those great franchises under his belt. He he's got the same resume. Yeah, he's got one great one. And I have to say, the scores for the Lord of the Rings movies are indeed some of the best fil film music ever written. But I don't think he's done as much of it. And he's also an avant-garde composer. He's a rock and roller. He's done so much in his career. I would say Howard Shore is, is a singular personality. He's done a lot of different things that John Williams even hasn't done. All right, next up. We've got Colin Tipton who writes, Hey, John, after everything AMC has done to convince people not to go to their theaters, why do you still choose AMC over every other chain? Wouldn't it make sense to support Cinemark, Regal, or any other theater chain instead? Thanks. All right, that's a fair question. There's two, there's two primary reasons. One is straight-up convenience. Um, the last number of years, I've always just lived very close to AMC theaters. Um, so I'm actually going to say there's three reasons. So one is strictly a matter of convenience. Two, the Dolby Prime Cinema is still my favorite watching experience. Dude, there's no, you can't deny it. Yeah, it, it's it's still my favorite. It's I incredible. prefer it over every other format. To me, that includes IMAX, but I that is my preferred movie-going format. Uh, three, AMC Prime, or AMC A-List, I should say. Um, as an A-List member, I can go as much as I want every time that I want. And I, it, and the, the price tag of the theaters doesn't really uh, impact me. Plus, I get some kind of twisted satisfaction out of knowing that every time I use that AMC A-list more than two times a month, I'm actually costing AMC money. AMC is losing money over me. But I'll tell you what has happened. Did you see me go to the concession stand? I mean, well, you did because I was getting something for Ann and Ray. Yeah. But... The second time you didn't see me go to the concession stand? No. I'm not saying I have sworn off AMC concession stand, which is where movie theaters really make their money. But I'd say I'm getting, now when I go to the movies, I'm probably purchasing about 80% less concessions than I used to. And a part of that is specifically me. I'm not calling for a boycott. Boycotts are stupid for when it comes to movie theaters or whatever. But I just me, I've made a choice for myself that... I don't want to support this this theater chain. And so I just won't get the delicious buttery popcorn nearly as much as I used to. I just won't get those delicious ice cream sandwiches that I, I like to get with the chocolate chip cookies on the outside. I won't get their artisan flatbed, flatbread pizza. <laughs> I'm not going to get that stuff. Once in a while, well, if I go to the theater, I'm pretty hungry. I'll still grab one. But it used to be I would walk in, and a part of my mentality was even if I was only a little snack, you know what? I am going to get a popcorn and maybe some Reese's Pieces because I also want to support the theater. Yeah, I don't do that anymore. So if I can keep taking advantage of them by using A-List and I get my preferred viewing experience because they, uh, listen, if I'm going to knock them for the things they're doing badly, I'm going to credit them for the things they do right. Sure. And their AMC Prime is a fabulous movie-going experience. But 
it's all three combined. It's the fact that it's convenient, it's the higher quality theater, and I get to take advantage of them because of the thing, and, and I'm just going to choose to not support them in other ways, but that's why. Because, Rob, you, you've always had favorite theaters, but also it all partially has to do with also uh, location and how yeah. close it is, right? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's obviously you want to go to your most convenient theaters. I mean, I'm moving, and I'm moving to a place that has a theater chain that I've never gone to before. I don't know the name of it. It starts with an H, I think. Oh, I'm not familiar with that. Uh, yeah, and and apparently the theater is really, really good. The theater chains really, and I'm like, I'll be the judge. Of maybe that. we'll run into them at CinemaCon. Yes, yes. Maybe we'll go, <laughs> and I will go talk to them. But it's all about location, but it's all, for me, John, it's always presentation. Yeah, presentation's top. All right, next up. Nate Dog writes, did you know there's a university in Japan that offers a master's degree in ninja skills, also known as ninjutsu? Um, I saw it on NPR. It's not too late, Rob, to become a real bonafide ninja. Something to think about. Actually, that's been around for ages, I think, if I'm not mistaken. Dude, you know, now that I'm getting older in life, why not become a ninja now? Yeah. I mean, there's no reason. I, 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 I think that you. it's never too late to reinvent yourself. Absolutely agree. I'm going. I'm All looking right. into it. Nate Dogg also writes, one of my favorite intros is The Big Lebowski. I love Sam Elliott's narration. His narration, that is great. By the way, that dude hasn't aged. No. Um, I love Sam Elliott's narration and the dude buying an 89-cent carton of milk with a check while wearing his bathrobe. It tells you everything you need to know about the movie in the first five minutes. The Big Lebowski is one of those movies... That I just find almost everybody agrees on. Dude. It's not everybody's favorite movie, no. but I I don't personally, and I'm only speaking for my, I'm sure there are many people who don't, but I don't personally know anybody that does not like The Big Lebowski. How can you not like it? <laughs> you know, I mean, whether it's your taste or not, it's still a wildly entertaining time at the movies. Yeah, it's so good. All right, next up. We got an anonymous viewer who writes. Uh, when you read this, I will probably have seen the Batman. Hope you have. Uh, but I won't go see it at an AMC. Why should I when uh, E. Mag when E. Magine or Cinemark can have my business? Thank you, Adam Aaron. I got a B- in Econ 101 last semester, but even I know this is bad business. <laughs> of course, this is referring to a story we covered this week about how uh, AMC CEO and chief clown car driver, uh, Adam Aaron is, can you tell, I don't like, I mean, look, look, to be fair for, I don't know Adam Aaron personally, for all I know, he might be the nicest guy in the world. And maybe like, maybe I wish he was my next door neighbor, but I just do not like the job. I think he's done a terrible job. Uh, no more than terrible. He's been doing an industry destructive job being the CEO of AMC theaters. I just have to say to all of our viewers, if you didn't get a chance to see John Campia's rant <laughs> about Adam Aaron and AMC, please, it's a, it, it's on this channel. It was, it was singled out. There's a piece, look it up. It is worth your time. I was here live and I'm glad when I, on my deathbed, when my life flashes <laughs> before my eyes, it's going to stop on John's rant about AMC and, it was glorious. You know, with the, any movie I hate the worst in the world, I would never look at the director and say, I could do a better job than he did. No, I couldn't. I don't like the job Bob Chapek is doing running Disney. I'm a fool if I would say I could do a better job than him. I probably couldn't. I will say I could do a better job running AMC theaters than Adam Aaron. That's saying a lot. I, I agree with you. Uh, I think you absolutely could. But, I mean, I, I, this, is, this is exactly what we're talking about. Now we've got a viewer writing in saying, yeah, um... Hi. Of course, this is connected to a story that Adam Aaron announced that they are going to be charging more more for tickets for the Batman than for any other movie in the theater. 
again, they're not lowering the prices on other movies. They're still keeping them at ridiculously oh, yeah. high prices, historic high prices. They're just going to add even more onto the Batman. And um, it's going to be a lot of people say, well, I was going to go see it, but it comes out on HBO Max in 42 days now. I guess I can wait. Or people like Anonymous here saying, <laughs> it's anonymous. Maybe Campia wrote that himself. No, I didn't. Uh, and I've got a message from a lot of people saying, you know, I'm just going to pick another theater and go to. And good on them. I mean, I, I yeah, it serves them right. Anyway, <laughs> next up, uh, the canon writes, one of five, regarding the Oscars adding most popular movie, I was with you with my initial reaction. However, over time, I realized it really goes back to what you believe the Oscars purpose is. If you believe it is strictly to recognize achievement in the art of filmmaking, then yes, uh, a lot of proposed changes seem to fight the core identity of the award. But if you see the purpose as celebrating the movie industry as a whole, then I think there is room for growth. Uh, I did a complete 180 because I started watching the Oscars in 2014 and always saw it as a celebration of the movie industry. So I can see a fan engagement as having the legs to run in the box office as achievement in the industry. Uh, as Chris Rock proved as an Oscar host, the casual person doesn't even know the nominated movies. So connecting with the audience is an achievement, just like stunts, casting, and even trailers, which I think should be all be Oscars. Lastly, uh, regarding the Oscars, as long as there is a network involved, they will be focused on numbers. Ch uh, charge everyone to attend and use that money to produce and stream the ceremony. No quote, quote is needed. Uh, do they value substance over prestige? All right, thanks a lot for sending in your thoughts there, Canon. But I have to say, I a thousand percent disagree with everything you just said. And and I'll, I'll tell you why. The, like, for let me just start, start with one minor thing you mentioned. Like, you think trailers should should be an Oscar. Every category in the Oscar is about the movie and something that went into making the movie. Costume design, the writing, the cinematography, the direction, the acting, the visual effects. Every Academy Award is about what went into making that movie. Trailers are not that. Oh, and they have their award. They have their own. And they awards. have, yeah, they have their own trailer. The awards. Golden Trailer Awards, the yep. the cable, the Key Art Awards. They've, there's all kinds of. And nine times out of ten, the people who make the trailers literally had nothing to do with the movie whatsoever. No, they're, they're, it's advertising. It's marketing. It's, it's a whole a different thing. So take that out of it. Also, quite often, not always, but many times, a movie making big box office was just about how good was the marketing campaign. I've seen a lot of movies that are terrible make big box office numbers. You celebrate the movie industry by celebrating the excellence in it. Now, you Agreed. can do things at the Oscars through montages and numbers and whatever to highlight some of the big highlight moments of the movie year. The Oscars have done that traditionally. They could probably even do it more. But you don't belittle and degrade the oscars by then putting in something as bullshit as best popular movie to which even the academy themselves said when they were first kind of floating that idea we don't even know how would we define that what makes a popular movie is it strictly box office is it you know remember i want to remind everybody some real pieces of shit transformers movies made a billion dollars 
just want to remind you. I also want to remind everybody before No Way Home, the biggest box office Spider Man had was Spider Man Three. So I, I mean, so no, you celebrate the movies by celebrating excellence in the movies. So I, I gotta say, I, I mean, I respect where you're coming from, and I think you put a lot of good thought into it. But I, but I have to say, as my film love and brother, I gotta say to you. I completely disagree, and uh, no way, no how should they ever... Do. Once they do that, then it's done. The Oscars are done once you do that. Then it's the MTV Movie Awards. Right. That's all it is after that. I don't know, Rob, what do you, what's your take? I know, I completely agree. I mean, ultimately, you have to celebrate the excellence of the art of filmmaking. And, you know, a trailer, a tra all a trailer is doing is, is taking pieces of a film and putting them together in such a way as to market that movie. The people making trailers have nothing to do with the actual content of the trailer itself, they didn't make those shots, they didn't make the effects, they didn't act in it, they're just creating a piece of marketing, that's a different discipline. I think the Oscars exist to celebrate an art form and all the people, I mean, to get to that level, look, you know, you made a feature, making a movie is one of the hardest things any person can set out to do. Yeah much less finishing one so when you're working i mean you're literally at the olympic level the way olympic athletes or or people that are in the super bowl or pick your best for your favorite your mma stars those those are people that those are lifelong avocations it takes and you get a brief moment to work at that level and that's what the oscars celebrate the excellence of this art form that that was a new art form pretty much in the 20th century and, and now beyond that is a singular art form and it gets celebrated once a year and all the people that work in it are working at the very highest level and that's what the oscars celebrate because you know what it's like let's 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 bring up the olympics for a second in the olympics they give out medals to people who are the best you came in first you get the gold you came in second you get the silver you came in third you medal you get a third place thing it'd be like saying that the with the olympics well you know this one long jumper for uh, Portugal, super cutie, has like 2 million followers on Instagram. They should have a medal at the Olympics for most social media followers. So, okay, she came in eighth in what did I say was a category, long jump. Okay, she came in eighth in long jump, but yeah, so she's not that good, but, but she has so many social media followings. Let's give her a gold medal for... Most social media followers Olympian. Yeah! You know what else it's like? You just brought up MMA. They have the stupidest thing in, in the UFC right now that I bet they regret. It's called the BMF title. The baddest motherfucker title. Oh. And they totally made it up because Nick Diaz uh, was fighting. Oh, why am I freezing suddenly on his name? He was just in the main event against Colby Covington. Uh, whatever. Um, damn it. What is his name? Jorge Masvidal. Okay. So they had this fight between Nate Diaz and Jorge Masvidal, who, quite frankly, neither one of them are excellent. They're both above average, and they're both exciting, and they're both crowd favorites, and they're, they, they put on entertaining, exciting fights, but neither one of them are truly elite-level fighters. Like, neither of them are. But they're popular, and they are entertaining fighters, so they had a fight made up, and they said, yeah, well, this is for the... Who's the baddest motherfucker? And so then they made up this belt. They even made a belt. And Dwayne The Rock Johnson brought it into the ring. He did. 
Dwayne Johnson brought the belt into the ring, and then he was going to put it on whoever won the match, and Jorge Masvidal beat. It was a great fight. It was a very, very entertaining fight. Jorge Masvidal wants to be made the BMF champion, but he's not a champion. Everybody knows he's not a champion. He's, he was given title shots, and he lost every sure. time. <laughs> he's not a champion. And that's kind of what that whole thing about, let's give her gold medal for best hair. Yay! But she's a long jumper, and she didn't she didn't do well enough to win in the long jump. Yeah, but let's give her a medal anyway. That's what creating a best popular movie. It's like, yeah, the movie's not actually good enough to win a real award. So let's make one up for it. You're the BMF of movies this year. Yay! It's pointless, and it's empty, and it turns into the MTV Movie Awards. Yep. All right. All right. Next up. <laughs> Where are we at? Um, uh, Tom uh, Evans writes... Went for the midnight screening of the Batman. There were 30 minutes of trailers, 10-minute countdown clock for the movie to begin, oh. then another 15 minutes of trying to convince me to go to the theater, even though I'm already there. My rear, my rear end demands vengeance. Again, they have to start understanding that the customer's movie-going experience starts the moment they walk in the door. And that, I, I don't have my phone on me. I wish I did. Soul went to go watch it yesterday. And he texted me at like 1.35. He goes, I'm still waiting for the Batman to start. The showtime was 1 o'clock. These theaters have to understand the experience starts the moment you walk in the and door. And with a three-hour movie, you add a <laughs> half with an a hour hour to that. Movie. I mean, that's, or even more than a half hour. That's a lot to ask of your audience. I, I absolutely That's agree. not respecting them. You're right. It's disrespecting your audience. All right, next up. We've got Andy who writes, March 9th is the Disney Investor Day. Are you going to do a special live stream uh, for that like you did with the 2020 Disney Investor Day? No, because that Disney Investor Day was a very unique Disney Investor Day. The Disney Investor Day had never been like that before. And as far as I understand, neither is this one. This is going to be a standard investor uh, day. Okay. I believe I'm, I'm I, now, I could be wrong about that, but I have not heard like leading up to that Investor Day, Disney was sending out publicity emails and letting people know and blah, blah, blah. None of that is there. I think it's just a standard investor day. So I could be wrong. I'm just saying I have not seen any of the things that are denoting it as anything special like they did for that last one in 2020. So I'm not expecting anything significant coming out of that. All right, next up. Anonymous viewer writes, I sent a message the other day on Mailbag about my buddy who passed away. I just bought his ticket for the Batman. Oh, that's sweet. Oh, yeah. um, the second I purchased it, his wife messaged me saying, happy Batman day. My wife was there to witness it. Enjoy the show. Josh miss you. I did. Was that as part of the one of the, the last mailbag that you yeah. did? Yeah. That he bought a, you know, it's funny. He, so this viewer bought a ticket uh, in honor of his friend who died. And I said, you know, I, I said, I think I said on the live stream, I said, you should take that ticket. And whether it's a friend of yours or give the ticket away and say, I want you to go see this movie in honor of my friend, you know, so somebody else could enjoy it and maybe keep the tradition alive. I, I love that idea, though. That's a really sweet story. I loved hearing that. Thanks for sharing that, Anonymous. I appreciate that. I loved hearing that. All right. Aaron uh, Strelinski writes, now having seen No Way Home, I think Marvel really missed an opportunity to have Michael Pena play the bartender with Tom Hardy so he could recap the MCU for him. <laughs> Dude, listen, what we've been saying forever, you know how every TV show starts with previously on Supernatural or previously on whatever. 
every MCU movie should start with previously in the Marvel Cinematic Universe and then just have Michael Pena's Luis highlighting specific things that led up to this movie. They don't recap the whole MCU, but re for the next Captain Marvel movie, recap in 45 seconds what's happened with Captain Marvel before the start of this Captain Marvel You know thing. what, John? Even if they didn't do it theatrically, that could be a home video special feature. Oh, my God, yes. That, that they could do it for Disney+, Plus and they could do it for the physical media release. I would love that. How great would that be? Okay, okay. You're welcome, Disney. I'm about to give you a $50 million idea. All right. You know, Cole's notes. What do you call in the States? Cliff's notes. Cliff's, Cliff's notes. notes. In Canada, we have Cole's notes. In the States, you have Cliff's notes. Okay. Just, you know, for a little while, I tried doing a video series that didn't work. Nobody watched them. It was like, it was called Movies in 20. Yeah, but they were really good. I thought they were good. <laughs> I really liked those. And, and but, Fact Checker Jonathan cut that stuff yeah, together. Yeah, Fact Checker Jonathan edited It was, it was edited really them. well written. And it was very well edited. Fact Checker Jonathan Ed did a great job editing them. But they just didn't get the views, and that's right. fine. So we moved off that. But, you know, in it, we said, look, maybe you've never, maybe there's a movie you've heard talked about a lot, but you don't have the time or inclination to sit down and watch the whole two, two and a half hour movie. I'm going to give you everything you need to know in 20 minutes. Do you and know that you've been ripped off? Really? That there's a number of, of, of now channels that that's all they do. They'll give you movie recaps in 10 or 20 minutes. Well, I mean... To me, I can't say they ripped me off because like me, like I personally ripped the idea off from Comics Explained because uh, there's a guy who's like like John Schnepp level uh, comic knowledge. I and know everything. it. It's good. And so he would do these, uh, you know, House of M, but like in an hour, <laughs> he would explain House of M, right? And so I got my inspiration for doing movies in 20 from that. Oh, well, there you so go. So I can't, I can't claim that I came up with the idea. We just did it really well because mostly because of Jonathan, but. Nobody watching, but the thing is, you do, you put out a video series where you take all 26 plus MCU movies, TV shows, whatever, and each one is five minutes, and it's just Luis, it's just Michael Pena giving you the total rundown of that movie in his style, five minutes. You put that on... Disney Plus, and you charge one dollar. I watch the shit out of that, uh, dude. I would, I would watch the shit out of that. I think they should just do that, and they should do it for every Marvel film, and just have it. it, it don't charge more. It's it's new content. Sure, you know, and 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 do it as and and you know you could you could uh, even. Everyone's seen the MCU movies and make it a make it a release like once a week. It'll cost them nothing. You need, <laughs> but you know what you, you need do? somebody to write it well. Yeah, and then you need Michael Pena for like two days to record the thing. Then it's just all about an editor, editing together. You put that on Disney Plus. I guarantee you, it becomes the number one watch thing on Disney Plus the week you release that. But you know what? It should also each one has to be in a different location. Like he's sitting sure. in a different cafe or a different place, and like you, you, you have his friends there. And hey, did you hear about what happened, Tony Stark? <laughs> you know, or what? And then if you could, like you work it out where you get Scarlett Johansson or Robert Downey Jr. or Chris Evans. Like when he's recapping a conversation, like let's say you're doing uh, Age of Ultron. That's the one where, where I think Chris Evans they're on uh, Clint's farm, and Tony and Cap have that argument and cap rips the log in half as they're arguing but you get them to come back for it and have like have chris evans act 
because you know they did this in the movies act right. like the way with michael Pena weiss and so so cap said to, to tony stark yo man you really start getting on my nerves and then we have chris <laughs> evans doing that and then have robert Downey jr i'm telling you this would make this would be gold for them absolute that, gold that would be who dude, wouldn't watch that uh, uh, i would watch that i would watch the hell out of that anyway <laughs> disney you're welcome Luis narrates the mcu <laughs> oh my god it would be so good i'm surprised they haven't done more with that i'm i am shocked i don't know what they're thinking that they haven't capitalized on this the popularity of michael pena in that role and what he can do in the life he brings to that it's it's totally unlike any other character in the mcu it's gold. They should absolutely do that. Anyway. All right. Let's keep going on here. Uh, next up. Uh, JC writes, now that you've seen the Batman and Spider-Man No Way Home, if you had to choose which comic book movie style, which would you choose? Thanks. I think that was already asked. Right? Wasn't that already asked? Like yeah. just a little bit earlier? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, I think we got to that one already, JC. All right. Next up. Gregory, Gregory Barrett writes, hey, John and Rob. Recently saw Spider-Man No Way Home for a third time. Nice. I realized, what was Doctor Strange doing after he yelled at the kids and went upstairs? Taking a nap? No wonder he's not the Sorcerer Supreme anymore. Lazy bastard. Uh, keep up the great work, crew. I mean, you know, he was going in there to do Sorcerer stuff. He's a busy guy, man. You I mean, know. that's maybe that's where his library is. Could be. Practicing. He's going up there practicing, learning, trying to figure out some spell to help Spider-Man. I think that's what he was doing, Gregory. All right. Next up. Uh, Nias writes, hey, can't be a crew. Hello there, Nias. Uh, I was wondering with the tone of the Batman and grounded layout, this could be a good opportunity to bring in some lesser known villains like Professor Pig. I think uh, with the way he's written, he could be really scary in the movie. Thoughts? Eh, maybe. I mean, they 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 kind of did Pig in Gotham. Right. And uh, you know what? Actually, out of all the bad things that Gotham did, Pig wasn't wasn't handled all that badly. No, it actually. Was, no. But, um, the, but that's not a marquee. I mean, remember, a lot of these villains have been in pop culture for decades, you know. And and you have a character that people don't recognize. Who who's the villain? Yeah. Or I mean, if you really want to go with that, you can just create a new villain for the movie. Right. I mean, a lot of people are thinking Victor Zaz. Like my one thing about Victor Zaz is he's a second level guy. He's he's a, always. A lieutenant. By the way, I love Victor Zaz in Gotham. I know we're just talking about him, but yeah. I love the guy who played I him in Gotham. I still wish we could have Deathstroke. Oh, I, yeah. I, I would love to see Death Wade Slade Wilson. Deathstroke. Come on. Again, you gotta you gotta gritty him up a little bit, but that's again, it's a it's a it's he's, a non He's just like he's a character. rich guy who knows a bunch of stuff. He's the anti Batman and there but he's on equal footing. Yep. All right, next up. We got Trevor Summers who writes. Hi, book tickets for the Batman. I asked my girlfriend if she knew Bruce's reason for becoming the Batman. She said, yeah, he was bitten by a bat. <laughs> Give Julie a shout out. At least she's willing to come watch it with me, and hopefully she's enjoyed it. God bless Julie. Let's hear for it for Julie. Going to the movie with you, man, even though she clearly has no idea about Batman. And, and when she sees it again, will she even understand? Because we don't have to see Martha and Jonathan get killed again. I mean, that's... It's, it's funny because... There are people. I who, said Martha and Jonathan. Oh, that's Thomas it. And, and Martha. Yes. Why did you say that name? <laughs> so, look, we there are certain there are people out there who've not seen the original Star Wars, but they know Darth Vader is Luke Skywalker's father. Yeah. <gasps> there are many people who've not seen the Batman, but they know his parents were killed in a dark alley. <laughs> right. So it's very rare I find that you come across somebody who doesn't know the origin of Batman. So you know what? 
The fact that she does know it, she's still willing to go to that movie with you, man. That's a sign of a keeper. Julie's a keeper. Julie is a keeper. All right. Next up, the Socrates. Uh, other than the Batman, my most anticipated movie of the year now, now that I've seen Uncharted, which I really liked and I, and I did play the games, is X by A24. I love the trailer for this movie. It looks like such a classic grindhouse horror, but at its peak. Dude. Have you watched the trailer for X? Oh, yeah. It's Ty West's new movie. I didn't like okay. it. You saw? I, 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 didn't like oh, I haven't trailer. watched X. No, I haven't seen the movie, but oh. I, I didn't like the trailer. Oh, see, gonna... it's right up my alley. I'm like, I'll watch that. Like what? Porn and the Texas Chainsaw, Matt, whatever it is. I I don't even know, but I I I was in. I'm in. I can't wait. And I like Ty West's movies. So when does it come out? Do, like, is it on already? I, it's I don't know, but I keep seeing ads for it, so yeah. it's got to be soon. Yeah, it must be soon. Maybe I, I this gotta, month. I admit the trailer didn't really work for me, but I think uh, it's going to bring the, some filthy too. Oh, well, I mean. You, you have to. <laughs> I mean, I with, with I the think... subject matter the way it is. Yeah. All right. Uh, next up. Where is he? That was the sock. The sock also writes, watch the usual suspects and Videodrome for the first time. Nice. Tried to watch To Live and Die in L.A. because of Rob's recommendation, but it's nowhere to be found digitally. The, I do watch that one. It's, it's got to be out there somewhere. But you know where it is? Kino Lorber is going to be releasing To Live and Die in L.A. on a 4K Dolby Vision disc probably this summer. Well, there you go. As for and John has a PlayStation Five, so he can watch it. <laughs> I could. The well, I've seen it. The Usual Suspects, though, um, it is in my top ten favorite movies of all time. Uh, that that to me is yeah. Well, obviously it's in my top ten, so clearly I think it's one of the best films ever made. I I love that movie from start to finish. The twist. The, the the individual stories, the telling... I mean, they employ so many different storytelling techniques, like retelling of a moment from different points of view, the mystery of it, a crime thriller all at once, fascinating individual characters, brilliant performances. I mean, I absolutely love that movie. And I know you've got a very special place in your heart for Videodrome. Uh, I do, but do you know that Usual Suspects was the first DVD special edition that I produced? I did not know that. Yeah, we did. We did about ninety minutes of documentaries on that. We interviewed all the suspects, and but you can't get the documentaries anymore because who knows where they went. Gotcha. All right. Next up, uh, Jeff Henry writes, John. I know you don't think anyone cares about a Batman Beyond movie. They don't. Uh, but in my opinion, if DC could kill Bruce Wayne in a sequel or trilogy, it graduates a young Batman apprentice into the real deal, and boom, you have a DCEU Batman just tossing ideas. Yeah, a Batman that nobody will care about. This very, very small fragment of people who know about the character and care about the character, and it is a, make no mistake, it is a small segment of people, and nobody else will care. Yeah, but you know, Here's the thing. The great thing about Batman Beyond is Bruce Wayne is a main character. He's just too old to be the Batman. He's too old. So he has a young apprentice. Instead of Robin, he's got Terry McGinnis. See, this is the thing, but it's not It's not even remotely Batman. It's Iron Man. Batman Beyond well, is really teenage Iron Man. That's really what he is. He isn't anything like the real Batman. Yeah, and, and, is, and it's set in the future. Yeah, You know, it's set in the future. So it's... Wherever Batman is, wherever you want to call him, it's like 40 years later. You know, he's like 80 or something, and he can't be... Like, all I know is that it had so few people watching it that it was canceled after three seasons, it, and and nobody outside of these little circles knows it, talks about it, cares about it. They want the Batman we just saw I in know. movie theaters this weekend. But again, like I, I've been saying lately, 
like I've been dead right for the last 10 years. It ain't happening. But now, 10 years later, with Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse happening, and there's a lot of connective similarities between the it's Batman true. Beyond situation. It's and that, true. If that worked, I got to believe that somebody at Warner Brothers is kind of keeping an eye on the property, thinking, you know what? If, we, if, if they could make the Miles Morales thing over there work, work with Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse, there might be something we can do with a Batman Beyond. Yeah. And I think it again, I've said it before, I will say it again. I think it is more likely today than it has ever been in, in the past. Whether or not they pull the trigger on it, we'll find out. All right. Thanks for writing that in, Jeff. All right. Next up, Victor writes, regarding movie ticket prices here in Sweden, tickets for the Batman cost roughly $17 for regular screenings and $24 for IMAX. It's kind of similar to what it is here in LA. Yeah. Um, I remember the good times when tickets barely cost $10. Also, I didn't know our biggest theater chain is owned by AMC. Well, I mean, AMC is the biggest theater chain in the world, yeah. not just North America, in the world. Dude, you know you're getting older when? I remember in Canada, Famous Players, that was the name. There, were, there used to be, when I was a kid, two major theater chains. There was uh, Cineplex, Cineplex Odeon, and famous players and i remember and eventually they merged to become cineplex just one big thing but i remember famous players had two dollar tuesdays and i remember going to lime ridge mall on hamilton mountain when i was a kid went on two dollar tuesdays it was two bucks everybody went to the movies on two dollar tuesdays um, so yeah, I, so you remember when they were like under 10 bucks, I remember $2 to, I mean, I don't remember regular price tickets for $2, but I remember $2 Tuesdays. I don't know. Do you guys ever have that in the States? Like $2 yeah, Tuesdays? There were two, there were, I don't know if you call it that, but there were day, discount days where they, they had that. They even had that in LA for a while. There was some theaters. Sometimes they were second run theaters, like that one theater that's on the corner of Fairfax and, um, Beverly. That's not there anymore. They had like $2 days. Nice. Even like modernly. Yeah, like up to 10, 15 years ago, they did. Huh. Yeah. Very cool. All right. Next up, we got Mark Niedow who writes, Hey, John and Co. Love your suggestion having Matt Reeves do a Punisher feature. I'm thinking his sensibilities would be good for a mega city. Uh, or now you're talking about Dread. For a mega city one property as well. By the way, is that IP dead now? Carl uh, rocked that part. Bad marketing once again. Yeah, look, I, I was first of all shocked and surprised by how good carl urban's dread was it was so good but the reason i was shocked and surprised was because the movie looked like garbage and you know this like i had it sucked because i had carl urban coming to be my guest on my masters of the web panel and i thought the movie looked terrible and then they asked me to mc the first public screening of it and do the Q and a with the cast and Carl Urban. And I accepted, but even though deep down, I'm like, Oh God, I hope this movie does, isn't as bad as it looks. So when I finally saw it, I was like, Oh my God, this is great. It's great. But it, that movie was never going to be a $700 million movie, but Oh my God, the marketing didn't do it any favors. What did you great, think about it? I have a great six scale figure of Carl Urban from dread. It's great. What did you think about the movie overall? I loved it because I, you know, I grew up reading judge dread comics and I love the whole world. I love Mega City. You know, I even love when they went supernatural with Judge Death and the Judge Child and or, uh, the, the yeah, the Judge Child quest. And I love Judge Red. And I thought that movie was dope. And it was uh, Lena Headley, he, you know, from Game of Thrones. She was a great villain. It was great. The 3D was great in it. It was awesome. 
I'll, I'll bring I'll bring this up here just so you guys can see it. There, there's there's me and Carl uh, when we were doing our Comic Con thing. He was great, by the way. He was awesome. Look at that. Look at you. I remember there was a um, somebody asked a question that he was totally prepared for because he knew somebody would ask because this was before. Uh, the second J.J. Abrams Star Trek movie came out, the one with uh, Benedict Cumberbatch yeah. as Khan, right? And, um, oh, no, I remember what it was. He grabbed, that's what this was. He grabbed me before we started the panel, and he said, look, before anybody in the audience asks, because you knew 100 people were going to ask in the audience, ask me who Benedict Cumberbatch is playing in the in the new Star Trek. I'm like, all right. And... An audience member brought up something about Star Trek and, and whatever. And I said, you know, that brings up something. And as soon as I said that, everybody knew. Because that was the big question at the time, right? right. So I said, that, 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 that brings up a question I want to ask you, Carl. And everybody starts laughing. I'm like, so, hey, Carl. He goes, yes, John. Who's been to Cumberbatch playing in, in Star Trek? I said, you know, JJ had a feeling somebody would ask me that. So he sent me this and he pulled out a strip of duct tape and put it over his mouth. And I think it said the word say nothing or something on the duct tape that he put on his own mouth. He played into it. He played along with it. It was great. Carl was actually really, really wonderful. And then I got to do the Q&A with him at the dread screening yeah. later that night. And he was super awesome. Like really, really cool guy. I, I absolutely love him. I love him in the boys. My oh. God, how good is he in the boys? I have He's a so six scale man. figure of him in the boys. Really? Yeah, the butcher is the little butcher. He comes with a little baby that that has oh uh, the laser comes light out up, of his light eyes. Up, uh, yeah, light up eyes. All right, let's keep going here. Next up, uh, we've got Ethan Holgate who writes one of five. Hi, John and Rob. The Batman's midnight screening was on March fourth for me, where I live. It was my first midnight screening ever. I live with my grandmother and managed to sneak out of the house without her noticing because <laughs> she was sleeping. Luckily enough. Uh, she probably wouldn't have minded, but I prefer not to tell her because uh, because to her, that's really late, and I probably would have gotten a lecture, LOL. I live in a small town, so I knew nobody would be out at night on a Thursday night, so I was cool. But hands down, the best decision I made, because man, I thought the Batman was incredible, was at a loss for words when the film ended. Amazing performances, amazing cinematography, and man, did Matt Reeves write a phenomenal script and make a great Batman film. Uh, the Dark Knight is still my favorite Batman film, but this was close. Can't wait to see it again in IMAX with my dad and little brother. And not only that, I saw The Godfather Part 2 for the first time later on in the day. Wow. That's pretty cool. For the first time in theaters on re-release. So I guess you could say I got my brain blown away twice on the same day. LOL. But it was an amazing experience to see The Godfather Part 2 in theaters for the first time. Another incredible film. Francis Ford Coppola 100% topped himself with a sequel, What a Work of Art. Well, you know, we talk a lot on the show, Rob, about how really one of the big debates in cinephile circles is what's the best movie of all time, The Godfather or The Godfather Part 2? And I lean towards The Godfather Part 1. That that I lean towards that. But you can't discount Part 2. But, you know, he brings up something else, the midnight screening. Because that's not something that happens here anymore. No, I know, and I miss it. And on the one hand, it is better that it's at seven o'clock on Thursday night instead of midnight yeah. for, for those of us who have to work the next day. Yeah. And sure, there will still be midnight screenings because like when a big movie opens, it's just that the midnight screening isn't the first screening anymore. It used to be movies open on Friday and that meant at 12.01 a.m. Right. Can be the first screening. 
And there was something very special about that and something very dynamic. And there was a very much an event atmosphere that came with that. And we've lost that a little bit with the 10 p.m. screenings and 8 p.m. screenings and 7, then 6. And then we just went to a 4 p.m. Thursday screening. So it's lost a little bit of it. And I do miss them. But I don't want to be hypocritical because even if they brought it back and I had the choice, hey, do I want to go see Doctor Strange, the Multiverse of Madness first screening at midnight? Or do I want to go see it at 7 p.m.? I'd probably pick 7 p.m. I don't know. What are, you, what are your thoughts on that? I Look, I loved, I grew up going to midnight shows. I love going to midnight shows, but I think you're right. I'm old now, and I like I like going to see a movie at 7 o'clock the night before on a Thursday. Yeah. You know, you get, still get to go see it in advance. It's still fun. Still be one of the first people to see it. Although right. I have to point out, John, I did see Age of Ultron. They I saw it at the Dome, and they were showing it like every three hours for a 24-hour span of time. And I did see it. I believe I saw the 3 o'clock in the morning show. Oh, my God. Yeah. I remember I did that for The Phantom Menace, for Star Wars The Phantom Menace. I saw that movie a lot. That's <laughs> <laughs> hoping we can. <laughs> All right. Next up, we got Steven Stranger Things who writes, Hey, JC and crew. I saw that James Earl Jones recently had a Broadway theater named after him. That's amazing. What an honor. Wondering what you guys think of it. Love the show. Thank you. I didn't hear that news, but completely appropriate. This is a guy who made like made his his uh, his living on Broadway. Yeah, for he, was a he was the Broadway theater. guy. You know, and, and look, still to this day, one of my very favorite YouTube videos ever is the Vader sessions where they took James Earl James Earl Jones performances from movies other than Star Wars and put lines of dialogue from those movies in Darth Vader's mouth. Oh my god. <laughs> it is still it is one of the I'm going to take you on a date. I'm going to take oh, you yeah. out. You know, it's so it's baseball ray, you know, it's it's so <laughs> if you haven't seen the Vader sessions on YouTube, look it up. It's still one of the great videos ever on YouTube. It's awesome. All right, let's see here. Uh next up, we've got uh, Justin Holcomb, who writes, what's the difference between Batman and Riddler? Aside from the fact that Riddler is actually removing some of the worst criminals Gotham has to offer. You know what, Justin? We cannot answer that question because it would require us to go into details about the movie, so we're not going to do that. By the way, I should mention here, some of you guys might notice that you submitted questions and we are not reading them. I, I don't know what made you guys think it's it, we were going to read major spoiler questions that you guys sent in. Um, there were about six or seven questions I had to remove. Uh, and, and I hope you guys understand because you guys know who you are. Like, and I get it. You weren't, you weren't trying to spoil anything for anybody. I, I get that. You were just excited to write in a question, but, uh, yeah, a bunch of you guys sent in questions that were clearly you, giving away spoilers. You're going to do question. another spoiler chat, aren't you? Yes, but not a It's just catching up on the questions we didn't finish last time around. Right. But uh, I was just thinking you could add those questions into your spoiler chat. No, cause I, I can't go, I can't. I can't give myself the job yeah, of administratively true. of yeah. combing through this list of literally hundreds and hundreds of things yeah, and bad then picking idea. things out and editing them into that document and then doing that. No, that's, it's too much. No, it's too much. I can't do it, unfortunately. But, but yeah, so obviously, Justin, we can't answer that question, unfortunately. All right. Last question that we're going to cover today comes to us from Scott Brown, one of two who writes, I'm a lifelong diehard Batman fan, and it's the best Batman movie ever. And Pattinson is the best Batman ever. I loved everything about this movie. It feels like the Batman movie I've been waiting for my whole life, from the score to the cinematography. Uh, the way it was shot, it felt so personal, unlike any other comic movie I've seen. It feels like you're there with Bruce the whole time and understand him. 
To me, this movie is a masterpiece right up there with Man of Steel, just a perfect Batman movie. You know, Rob, when I came, when we came out of seeing the Batman for the first time, the first comment I made was, this is not a perfect movie. It's not even a perfect comic book movie, but to me, it was a perfect Batman movie. And that will all depend on your individual background with the Batman character and which stories spoke to you the best. But for me, I know I had never felt like Batman was literally jumping off the comic book page right into the movie the way that this movie was. And maybe there would be other people who didn't have that same experience as I did because maybe there were other more fantastical elements of the Batman stories that appealed to them more. But for me, this was the Batman I was weaned on. That when I read in the, the books of, of the comics and I'm reading Batman, this was that Batman to me. And to me, it was not a perfect movie, but a perfect Batman movie to me. And that's that's how, Rob, you've seen it now a couple of times. How do you reflect on it? Look, I was stunned by it the first time I saw it, just because I thought that that the reach, what Matt Reeves was trying to do, he really went for broke and tried to create something that we hadn't seen on film before, because there's been a lot of Batman movies now in the last 25 years. So he did something that I thought was a pretty staggering achievement. I just sat there. I was sitting next to Chris Carjohn, and I'm just like, oh, my God, that was stunning. I was blown yeah. away by it. Now, how am I going to sit with this movie in five years or 10 years? I don't know. But right now, it, it to me, it's it's so weird because it's different than what Christopher Nolan was trying to do. So for me, it's kind of like apples and oranges. I just love the fact that Matt Reeves gave us a Batman movie like we'd never seen before. And that's what I wanted out of it the most. And that's what I got. I got a movie that was smart, adult. It made me think. It was beautifully made. It was thrilling. It was mysterious. I really enjoyed it. And it was something new that I didn't expect. All right, guys, listen. There are more questions to come. We actually didn't get through all of them. We still have some left, like from Zero Pop and Dark Knight Rises and a couple of others. Listen, do not worry. Unfortunately, we've run out of time for today, but do not worry. We will get to those ones on the very next installment of Mailbag, and we'll start off with where we left off, and we'll get all cleared up on the next episode uh, for sure. We're just a little bit backlogged right now because <laughs> we didn't normally we do a mailbag on Fridays as well, but obviously we had the Batman fan screening that we had to go do on Friday. So that's why we had a lot here, but don't worry by the end of the next mailbag episode, we're going to be all caught up. So if you haven't seen your question read yet, as long as it wasn't a Batman spoiler question, you will see it answered on the next installment there. But for now, guys, that'll do it for this installment of mailbag. Thank you so much for joining us here for this today, guys. Big thank you to all you guys who sent in these questions. Number one, because you gave us great fun things to talk about, but number two, you supported this channel as you did it. And all of us involved with the channel. Thank you guys so much for that support. I want to thank the guy joining me, Mr. Robert Meyer Burnett. Robert, where can people follow you online? John, you can follow me online on Twitter at BurnettRM. Find me on Instagram at RMBurnett or find me on my own YouTube channel, The Burnett Work. All right, guys, that'll do it for us for now. Thanks a lot for being here. My name's John Campia, and until next time, my friends, bye-bye.